Uh, but hey, we're in our fourth week of questions that Jesus asked, and he asked some good questions, some very pinpointed questions. And uh, this is the fourth week, and, and really it's uh, going to be my favorite week, uh, and it's going to be the best week because I got to choose the question. Um, no, just kidding, but uh, it, Gary's done good so far. Um <laughs> No, I'm really excited today because the question that we're covering, is it, no, okay, anyways, it doesn't matter, Um, but the question that we're covering um, just explicitly reveals the gospel, and like the gospel is prevalent in our services, in our songs, in our messages every Sunday, but I'm really excited about today because it is just so explicit, it is in your face, so today, be prepared to get hit in the face with the gospel of God. Grace, that is actually a rhyme that I was not planning on, so uh, use that second service. Um, Cool. And so before we dive right into our scripture today, I need to ask you a question. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, speak now or forever hold your peace? Yeah? And, And like, what is the context that we typically hear that in? Where do we hear that? Weddings, yeah, weddings. And so the whole phrase you would hear in a wedding, like maybe toward the end of a wedding, and the whole phrase is actually part of a question. It's, can anyone show just cause why this couple cannot lawfully be joined together in matrimony? Let them speak now or forever hold their peace. And it's always kind of been like an awkward, like kind of funny, um, but potentially scary question, you know? Like you're allowing for any objections, like you're not sure if there's any ex-boyfriends that still have feelings maybe in that place. Um, And so it's this time for any objections, but, but... Even though any objection is going to be probably a, a little awkward and a little weird, um, there's only, only a couple of objections that will actually cause the ceremony to like stop, to pause, and then have to resume another day, or not at all, depending on the objection. Uh, yikes. But here, here are the uh, objections that would actually cause the ceremony to stop. And now this is mainly a, a Catholic thing. You'll hear it in most weddings that are in a Catholic church, but it's kind of made its way into ours. But there are only a handful of things that will actually cause the ceremony to stop. So here they are. Some are obvious. If somebody objects and says the bride or the groom, Joey or Jill, uh, they're already married. I'm, I'm his wife. That will cause the ceremony to stop right there. They're already married. The bride or groom is already married, so they can't get married again. That'll cause it to stop. Another one is if, if one of them have made a vow of celibacy and somebody, uh, somebody knows about it, like, hey, he can't get married. He made a, a vow of celibacy for whatever reason, and now he's getting married now. That will stop a wedding. Another one is if uh, either the bride or groom is underage and, and their, their parent can come up and be like, hey, he's only 17, like he's being forced, which, which is another one. Another objection is if, if the bride or groom has been kidnapped, um, then obviously if somebody knows that they have been kidnapped and are being forced to marry this person, uh, you can stand up and object and that will stop the wedding from happening. So if you know of any of that happening, object and it will stop. This is my favorite one, okay? This will stop a ceremony right here is if the bride or groom has not been baptized and somebody in the, in the congregation knows it. So that I hope that this would be like the most dramatic one. Like, he has not been baptized. And everyone's like, oh, what? Oh my goodness. Not, I'm not making fun of it. Obviously I'm not. But anyways, I just think that's a good one. And then this one's pretty obvious too. If um, the bride or groom killed the other person's former spouse um, and somebody knows about it, 
then you can object and the wedding will um, stop for, for that time. Uh, and, and so, like, yeah, I guess some of these are, are serious. All of them are serious, really, but some of them are kind of bizarre. Um, but for several seconds, the question hangs in the air. Uh, can anyone show just cause why this couple cannot lawfully be joined together? Does anyone legally condemn this union or either of the partners involved? And hopefully, no one has to, and no one does, and no one makes any objections. Well, in our passage today, in John 8, Jesus asks a similar question, and he asks it directly to a woman caught in an adulterous affair. And now that word caught, um, it, 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 so she wasn't just like, the affair wasn't just brought to light. She was literally caught in the act of adultery. Like that is uncomfortable. She was caught. She was brought out before all these people. And Jesus has the nerve to ask her to her face. Does anyone condemn you? Anyone? Does anyone condemn you? And so we're going to be in John 8 uh, all of today during this message. So if you want to follow along, you can. And, and just to set up the scene a little bit, you'll see that uh, we're in the temple courts, these temple courts. So it's in the temple in Jerusalem and, and outside many people can come into the courtyard area. They're not as, um, they're not as big of sticklers there, like depending on, on who can come, like a more wide variety of people can come into the temple courts. And so there will be teachers in this area. There will be these theological conversations going on. They'll be discussing um, scriptures. And so people like Jesus can come in and start speaking and people will start listening. And so so we'll just kind of say there's around 50 to 100 people in this kind of big courtyard, the amount of people that it could hold. And so we'll read right now verses two through six. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. So the first thing we need to do, um, that, that's a pretty a huge statement that the law of Moses, that our Bibles command us to stone, to put to death such a woman. So we have to fact check that. Sorry, that's a trigger word um, for some of you, but we do. We have to fact check that because that's a huge statement, a huge claim that this woman's gonna be put to death. So we go back to the law that they are supposedly quoting. We go to Leviticus 20.10, and it says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Whoa. And again, in Deuteronomy 22.22, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Okay, so the law indeed says that. And today we're not uh, spending the time to go into the law of the Old Testament and the purpose of it and how intense it was in areas like this, but it, it does just suffice to know these guys are telling the truth. They're coming with the truth to Jesus but only kind of, 
Okay, because when I just read that law to you from those two different places, I'm thinking probably the women in this room um, noticed this first, but do you notice anything that's missing? Like in this context now, we just read the law. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Do you notice anything or anyone missing in this context? It takes two to tango, right? Like where, where the heck is the man in this temple court right now? There's no man. Where is the man who was acting with this woman? She was caught in the act of adultery. So they just grabbed her and left him. Like I'm thinking maybe he was like one of their friends. Like, hey, we got you, dude. We're just gonna take her. Like what, what are they doing? Where is the man who is just as guilty as she is? Where is the man These Jewish leaders were coming to test Jesus' integrity and commitment to God's law, and yet they proved themselves hypocrites, disregarding God's law by arresting the woman without the man. And they were content to neglect half of what God had said. And and maybe that's a word for us, man. They were content to neglect half of what God had said. God is not honored when you deliberately only do part of what he says. God is not honored when you deliberately do part of what he says, because if you keep, if you keep just half of the law, like these Pharisees, like these Jewish leaders, if you keep just half of the law, that means you are breaking a lot of it, you know? Like if I'm gonna keep half of the law, okay, so the other half is broken. Like it's done away, what? If you keep just half of it, you are breaking a lot of it. So maybe this like, this kind of helps make sense, help, helps wrap our minds around it. Like uh, God's not honored if, if you're only doing part of what he says. So think about it like this. Uh, maybe I got uh, pulled over. I have been pulled over. I got pulled over for uh, running a stop sign, uh, but officer, like surely you can appreciate that I was going the speed limit as I, as I ran right through. Like I was going 55, like I wasn't speeding, you know? Like, come on, give me some grace here. Like I only broke one, but this was, I'm right in line right here. I was going 55. Or, or I cheated on a test and the teacher found out. But teacher, if you would have just noticed that I was only cheating on the even numbers, you would not be this angry right now. I only cheated on half of it. Like only half, I, I was doing the right thing for the rest of the half. Or maybe... Maybe you're very quick to speak up against abortion, as you should. Very quick to speak up against abortion, but very slow to support orphans and foster kids and widows and the homeless and those living in poverty. All of those, those commandments, those ethics are found in almost every single book of the Bible. Like we're quick to speak up against abortion. But I've been slow to do the rest of those things, which is all throughout our Bibles, content to neglect all this stuff that God had said. Or maybe you're quick to speak out against sexual immorality, maybe against homosexuality, or or you speak out against sexual immorality in others or, or in culture, but at home you're still looking at porn. Maybe you're still living and sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you're just failing to have a healthy Christian marriage. You know that the Christian divorce rate is the same as the rest of the world. Like it's not any better. And yet we're quick to point out sexual immorality everywhere else. And yet our our marriages are falling apart. God is not honored when we deliberately only do 
part of what he says. If you keep just half the law, you're breaking a lot of it. Now the Pharisees, I'm convinced they weren't really worried about the part of the law that they, that they weren't keeping. They were really just trying to trap Jesus is what our scripture said. They were trying to trap him, okay? And so this is the trap that's going on right here. If Jesus said that the woman should not be stoned, if he's like, yeah, she should go free, just let her go free. If he says that she should not be stoned, they're, they're gonna accuse him of violating Moses' law of not uh, obeying God's word. He would lose all credibility. Nobody would listen to Jesus if he disobeyed and just blatantly went against God's word. So if he says, yeah, let her go free, nobody's gonna listen to him anymore. But if Jesus urged them to execute her, yes, stone her, put her to death, then they would inform the Roman government who did not allow the Jews to carry out executions on their own. So do you see the trap? Jesus either says, let her go free, and then he disobeys God's word. Nobody listens to Jesus anymore. Or he says, execute her, and then he gets arrested and possibly executed himself. That's the trap that the Jews are setting for him. And so what does Jesus do? He's brilliant in his response because what he does is he upholds the law of Moses. He tells them to stone this woman, sort of. He tells them to stone her, but with just one stipulation. They ask him, hey, what do you say about this, Jesus? And so we pick it up in verse six. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, here he goes, he's telling them to stone her. He says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. So let's figure out um, what is going on here. Like they ask him a question and he, he comes down like this and he's doing this. Like, what is he? Like Jesus was here, Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. Like, why is he even writing on the ground right now? You know, and, and maybe the fact that like what, what he's writing isn't that important. Um, and I say that just because they didn't put what he wrote in scripture. So I'm guessing it's, it's not... But the fact that he does do this, is he representing something? Is he trying to prove a point? There is one other place in scripture where somebody writes something out with their finger. One other event. And it's referenced a couple different times, but it's just one event in scripture where somebody writes something out with their finger. Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy 9.10. He says, the Lord the God of all creation, the Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. The Lord wrote on two stone tablets with his finger all the commandments that he gave to his people, Israel. So this is what's going on right now. Jesus stoops down and he writes on the ground with his finger. The commandments were given to Moses by God. God who came down to earth, who you could say bent down to earth and wrote out the commandments with his finger. And so Moses' law was just referenced, just referenced by these Jewish leaders. Says, hey, the law tells us to stone her. And so maybe right here, 
Jesus is presenting that exact Old Testament scene when God came down, bent down to earth to write out the law. Maybe Jesus is just showing who he is in reference to the law. Yeah, remember when Moses got these? They were given to him by God. This is who I am in reference to the law. This is my law. And you're trying to trick me right here? You're trying to trap me? Jesus is representing that exact Old Testament scene as he bends down and writes in the earth. And so with this law of Moses now like super fresh on everyone's mind, I'm thinking like surely they're starting to feel a little bit intimidated as they see this guy just kind of go down and nonchalantly start writing on the ground with his finger. With the law of Moses fresh in everyone's mind, Jesus says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. The one without sin is free to condemn. That's what he says. The one without sin is free to condemn her. Go ahead. Man, if the woman was like one sinner amongst like a hundred perfect people, then maybe the answer would be, okay, cast out the sinner. Purge the evil from Israel is what it said. If she was, if she was one sinner among a hundred perfect people, but she was one sinner among a hundred other sinners. Like if they just condemned her, like it would just condemn all of them and fix nothing. Jesus was not trying to preserve the hundred as they were. They all needed to be made into a new creation, into something new. Condemning one condemns them all and fixes nothing, man. It's like a building and a small section has been infested with termites. So you're gonna go in, you're gonna treat for termites and you're gonna replace and and throw out those rotten pieces. But the truth is, this whole building is rotten. The termites have gotten everywhere. What's needed is a new creation. If you condemn just one of them, it condemns them all, fixes nothing. Jesus is worried about a new creation, fixing all of them. Commenting on the story in John 8, there's a really cool guy named Thomas Aquinas. Say Aquinas with me. Aquinas, yeah, real cool name. Let's make that the most popular name, 2023, Aquinas. Um, but he, he said a lot of really good things. And back in the 1200s, he was commenting on this story. And he says, let the sinner be punished, but not by sinners. Let the law be accomplished, but not by those who break it. Because when you judge another, you condemn yourself. That's Romans 2.1. Therefore, either let this woman go or suffer the penalty of the law with her. The one without sin is free to condemn. It's a brilliant, brilliant answer. The one without sin can throw the first stone. Jesus upheld the law of Moses. He said, yeah, you're right. We're supposed to stone her. But who throws the first stone? The one without sin. We pick up in verse nine. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. The older one started walking away first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. They began walking away one at a time, the older ones first. Because I think with maturity comes memories of our mistakes. With maturity comes memories of our mistakes. So I've heard, so I have been told. Um, 
there's, there's this wisdom that comes from being older or from being in a profession for a long time. So I've heard. Um, but a lot of that wisdom, you would agree with me, a lot of that wisdom and knowing what to do, it comes from doing the wrong thing first and then learning from it. Right, it comes from doing the wrong thing, maybe several times, and then learning from those mistakes. I think the older ones here in these temple courts, they started to leave first. They wisely left first because they could look back on and have hopefully learned from an entire lifespan filled with past sins. So these older ones, they looked inward at themselves, probably grimaced gained a little empathy or sympathy. And then they looked outward at this woman and then they walked away because they knew within them was an entire lifespan filled with past sins. With maturity comes memories of mistakes. And so they walk away and it's now just Jesus and this woman in that now quiet place together. And Jesus speaks directly to her. And I just, I imagine his voice being the most warm, the most comforting voice, and yet at the same time making you completely vulnerable. He speaks directly to her. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Man, Jesus, Jesus is the only one worthy, the only one righteous enough to condemn all others. He was the only one who had not ever sinned in that temple court. He was the only one able to condemn this adulterous woman standing before him and he chose not to. Jesus chose not to condemn her. Jesus was the only one able to throw that first stone and he did not. I love this passage from Ezekiel that just captures the heart of Jesus, captures the heart of our God. Ezekiel 18, the prophet is speaking, but he's speaking on behalf of God. God is speaking through him. And he says, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. John 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes in Christ is not condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was not sent to condemn, but to acquit. Jesus was not sent to condemn you, but to acquit. And I love that word, uh, acquit, because um, maybe uh, often we can think of that word as just meaning not guilty, but that's not really uh, what uh, acquit or acquittal means. Acquittal means you are now removed from the consequences 
of your actions. You are now removed from the consequences of your actions. Jesus did not come to condemn, but to remove you from the consequences of your actions. He came to set you free. And I love this here because we see just the total opposite of Jesus, his character, and the character of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. They were coming to Jesus. They were asking him this question. Hey, the law says this. Uh, What do you say about this, Jesus? And scripture says they were asking him this question as a trap. Jesus comes to this woman and he asks this question. Has no one condemned you? He asks her that question to set her free. You see the difference? Jesus comes to us to set us free. The Pharisees were coming to trap. Jesus wanted to set this woman free. He's not here to condemn, but to remove you from the consequences of your actions. He declared his verdict on the woman, neither do I condemn you. She was guilty. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was guilty and Jesus and all who were there called her sin exactly what it was, sin. But Jesus both acknowledged the truth of her sin and he extended mercy by saying, I do not condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. And we love that ending, don't we? Like we love forgiveness and mercy and grace because that's what we also want, not just from Jesus, but from those we love, those we've hurt, the mistakes we've done. We want forgiveness and grace and mercy. But listen, we have to do a little bit of reckoning right here, okay? Jesus is referred to as the judge in the book of James. Jesus is this good judge. So we have to do a little bit of reckoning. I love how David Platt in his book, Counterculture, he says this. He says, if there were a courtroom judge today who knowingly acquitted guilty criminals, we would have that judge off the bench in a heartbeat. Why? Because he is not just Man, Jesus is just forgiving her, which is great, but like, can he do that? If it were any other judge that was doing illegal things or or trying illegal uh, people who have broken the law, if it was any other judge, like somebody comes up, oh, you've committed murder. Yeah, you're good. Go back out into the community. You're fine. Like we would have that judge off the bench in a heartbeat, right? Like they could not be a judge over the people because they're not exercising justice. Oh, forgery, counterfeit billing. Yeah, you're fine. Clear. Theft, yeah, you promised not to do it again. Yeah, you're good, go back into the community. And that is not just, is it? That judge is not exercising justice. So here's my question, is God just? Jesus came and, and just let this woman go free. So is, is God just? Where is his justice In this context right here, does God just say things like he gave these commandments that were super harsh? He explained the dire consequences, death, if you break this commandment, and then does he just not follow through with them? Like Jesus just let her go free the Jews. They were at least keeping half of the law. They kept part of the law. Does Jesus, does our God just not keep any of it? Like he just lets people go. He makes this law up and then he just doesn't follow through on it. Where is the punishment? Where is the discipline? Where is the justice? Where is the guy in the story who's just as guilty as the woman? Where is the man? Here's the man. Listen. Here is the man. Here is the man. 
Those are the words of Pontius Pilate at the end of this Gospel of John. Here is the man. Jesus has been falsely accused. Falsely accused and he's brought on trial to Pontius Pilate, who's this Roman governor over Israel, over Judea. And Pilate, he can, he can find nothing wrong with Jesus. He can find nothing uh, as a basis for a charge against Jesus, nothing for which to condemn Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, of course, was sinless. And yet Pilate brought Jesus out before his own people. And he said, here's the man. Here is the man. And what did they shout back? They said, crucify, crucify, crucify. Here is the man. Jesus, by his own free will, 